was like, you have a beard? <laughs> because he's normally seeing <laughs> you with a mask. never seen me without my face on, like, without my mask on. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I have a beard. And she was like, it changes your face. <laughs> and I was like, is that a good thing? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it looks way better like than what I imagined. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Lead Him to Life. I am sitting down with an old friend. Okay, not that you're old, but... I mean, it's just that I've known you for a long time, which maybe makes me, which maybe makes me old as well. Oh boy. Father Andy Thuringer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Okay. So before you came in, I was thinking, cause we knew each other in high school mm-hmm. and we still know each other, but we knew each other originally in high school. And I was thinking about what my favorite memory of you from high school is. Do you, do you know what it's going to be? I don't. My favorite memory of high school with you is not doing show choir with you. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yes. All the time, you would be like, hey, Emily, I'll see you at show choir. Oh, wait. And I'm like, yeah, I won't be there. Yeah. Well, it was just that, like, you were one of the most talented people in the school. Oh, yeah, And, right. like, what always happened to, we always, like, sniped people like that. And we're, like, would get them. Like, I started show choir because somebody was like, you're you're joining. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, Like, you don't I, have an option. Yeah. You're doing this. And so I was always trying to, like, <laughs> reverse peer pressure you into it. But it didn't work. No, it did not work. I'm going to, like, make some enemies probably right away at the start of this podcast. We're not that far in. But I'm just not a show choir person. I feel like it's weird. I feel like it's awkward. I feel like there. And, I'm, and I love glitter. But I feel like there's a little too much glitter. I cannot believe I just said that. I love glitter. But I just, I, I just couldn't get behind it. And you were always giving me a hard time about it. I'm sorry. I forgive you. Okay, thank you. Okay, Father, tell us a little bit about who you are, um, where you reside in the world. Uh, So I was born and raised in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and uh, went to Catholic school with you. Uh, And after I graduated, I went and studied theater. I've always been interested in storytelling and acting and uh, movies and television and theater and stuff. And um, it was the summer before that. Uh, before going off to acting school that uh, I kind of profoundly encountered God and I felt him calling me to the seminary, which was very inconvenient. And uh, over the next couple of years, uh, just he made it very clear and I entered the seminary. And um, seven years after that, was ordained a priest in 2017. uh, And now I've been a priest for three years in our diocese. And now I'm the full-time chaplain uh, back at O'Gorman. I've come kind of full circle, you might say. Yeah, you're back at your home ground. Mm-hmm. You, so you went to acting school, though, for a semester, a year? A year. So you did go for a year. Yep. And you were good. I mean, I I did well. You can say that. Uh, well, the way I always say it is, like, at, at that school, like, freshmen are the gum under the table. Um, freshmen speak when spoken to. Like, sure. freshmen don't get cast. Yeah. And uh, I was the only freshman that got cast in two productions that year. That's and a big so deal. It was well, and not only that, but it turned from a like a hobby or something I enjoyed to like a craft and something I became deeply passionate about. And um, I, so I'm always really grateful for that time um, to get to that God gave me, like before calling me to seminary. Yeah. It seemed inconvenient at the time. I was like falling in love with theater, and God was calling me to fall deeper in love with Him. Right. Um, but now I look back on it and I'm so happy that I got to, I, I was given that year to like 
study storytelling and mm. art and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it changed my life. And I met some really great people and uh, yeah. Real talk. Do you ever grieve that dream? Okay. So. How's that for a. No, no, no. It's a great a, question. Curveball. So. Entering seminary, there was a lot of grieving. Okay. And maybe even melodramatically. Right after your first year. Yeah. And okay. saying goodbye to those friends and saying goodbye to that dream and saying, you know, um, and, and actually leaving and going somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to a different school in a different state. And, um, and I, I felt very much like, okay, I will give this to God, you know? <laughs> and then uh, it was amazing because, so I get to seminary and I'm in seminary for like a year. And one of the rectors comes up to me and says, you know, like, hey, some guys struggle with public speaking. Would you want to like read through some scripts with them or something just to get them comfortable? So we like put on a little like just dumb play. We read 12 Angry Men in the basement one day in front of a bunch of people. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. I always love that play. Yeah. And then like two years later, I'm at the major seminary and they have a full on production like company and they put on original Catholic plays every year. And I did not start it. It was already there when I got there. Seriously, I thought yeah. you started that. No, no. Um, and so we ended up, we put on like five or four original plays and two other plays. And, um, and I got to write up and direct my, uh, a play. Oh my gosh. Um, and so like, and then, but then after that, I was like, okay, well now, now I'm getting ordained. So now I have to leave theater behind. Right. Now I'm really letting it go. Yeah. And in my first assignment, my pastor came up to me and was like, I want to find a way for our community to realize that we're like invested in the community and we care about more than just the people at our church. And that day I found an ad in the paper looking for a director for their Christmas show. Shut uh, it's up. a, it's a wonderful life, which is my favorite movie of all time. Totally. And, and I went up to him and I was like, this is dumb. You're, this is so dumb. You're going to think this <laughs> is dumb. This dumb. is crazy. You're going to say <laughs> no right away. But, and he was like, I think you should do it. Seriously. Yeah. And so I got to direct and uh, I actually, somebody entered the church and was baptized because of that. Shut it was up. unbelievable. <laughs> And then, and then I was like, okay, well, that was a one-off. You know, right. now I'm leaving Mitchell. Now I'm leaving theater behind. Now you're right? officially done. And, um, and then I went to Aberdeen and got hooked up with the Catholic school in Aberdeen, Roncalli. And Roncalli came to me and said, we hear you have some theater experience. Would you coach our interp team and direct plays every year? You are kidding me. So this is like one of my favorite things about God is like, I, I did have to give something up to him and I had For to hand sure. it and I had to hand it over to him. And there was a grieving there. And ever since I've done that, he's never stopped giving it back to me. Oh, man. Um, and so I've received, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold. And it's just been like so awesome. In a way that integrates your two hearts, mm-hmm. like integrates and, your two dreams. And, you know, I remember being in theater school and they asked me like, I, I was struggling to do some role because of my faith. You know, I, I didn't okay. feel comfortable okay. doing this one scene. And sure. I can't even remember what it was anymore. But and uh and I said, you know, I'm just, I'm just struggling, you know, and somebody said, well, you know, you have your Catholic self and you have your theater self. Mm. And I said, but shouldn't they be the same person? Yeah. And like, that's mm. exactly what's played out is I've got to, I've never had to sacrifice. Well, not sacrifice, but I've never had to compromise either. Yeah. Um, which has just been such a gift. It's, it's offered integration mm-hmm. of the two things. Oh man, that's so good. Okay. So father, you and I were having a conversation a big conversation in my office, gosh, in April, so several months ago now. And as we were talking, this 
line kind of came out of you that has just continued to resonate with me and sit with me. And you, you said, it's going to be the name of this podcast. Holiness is messy. Can you talk a little bit about where that thought started to come from you? Cause I know you've been thinking about that a lot, just kind of in different, in different facets and experiences that you've had. Um, where did that idea originally come from me, come from for you? And what do you mean by that? Well, I think we have this idea, and I'm so guilty of this. You know, we look at some of the saints, and they're just like these rosy-cheeked pictures. They look kind of like Santa Claus sometimes, you know, and like, <laughs> and they just look so perfect. And you're like, well, I could never, I could never be that, you know. Yeah. And one of the things that surprised me just a couple of years into being a priest is actually how many people are living like radical, beautiful lives of holiness, like sharing themselves with God, and their life looks nothing like a fairy tale. It's like messy and broken and all sorts of things. Mm. And um, I think the first the first experience I had that really brought that to life was I was, um, I had a, a, a man call in and ask if he could meet with me in my office. And so he, he came in, um, he was going through like a really messy divorce mm. and um, was really broken up about it. But not only that, he felt like he wasn't like right with God anymore, you know, and yeah. he wanted to come in and just get some peace. And we talked for a long time. And one of the beautiful things, like this man was um, totally on board, even with some of the really difficult teachings of the church, you know, like he was he was committed to his original marriage. He was open to the idea of getting an annulment, but also, you know, was open that if like the annulment wasn't granted. Can you was, explain for, uh, what, uh, for our listeners who might not know what an annulment is, what that means? Yeah. So at one point in the scriptures, Jesus teaches that, um, that divorce was never how marriage was meant to be. Yep. And he asked his followers... Um, not to uh, enter into divorces, not mm-hmm. to not to divorce marriages, mm-hmm. right? And the Catholic Church has tried our very best to stay faithful to those words of Jesus. Um, but we also do recognize um, that sometimes a marriage is contracted invalidly. That is, not that a marriage happened and then went bad, um, which does happen, um, but that there was something wrong from the start yep. and something important that was not there in the beginning. And, you know, the kind of classic example is there's a there's a sniper up in the choir balcony. And so you're under <laughs> you're under duress. You know, yeah. you didn't want to actually say I do, but you had the yeah. sniper trained on you. Yep. Well, that's not actually a valid marriage because you nobody should have to get married with a sniper aiming right. at them. Right. Right. And so the church says there's a thing, a thing called an annulment, which is not that your marriage is dissolved but that the conditions for marriage were never there from the yeah. beginning. You were never really married yeah. in the first place. And so then you're free to, yeah. to go and be, to get married, not again, yeah. or to, yep. to go and get married. Period. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So you had this guy in your office that was open to all of this. Yeah. And, and there's a thing because that's, um, that's a tough teaching because if, if the case of like your particular story doesn't fit some of those requirements, right. Maybe it was a marriage that was, a real marriage, and then went bad, mm-hmm. right? We're trying to stay faithful to the teaching of the church and of Jesus, right? We say like, no, um, you, we can't dissolve this marriage. It's a real marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there's a way to fix it mm-hmm. and reconcile, and maybe there's not. Mm-hmm. But you can't just go start another marriage because you're you're married, right? You can go get a civil divorce, right? Or even a restraining order or whatever it might be, but you know, like you're still married. And what was so beautiful, and I know this is a lot of like theology, but what was so beautiful was this man was hearing this and he was like listening to it and taking it in. And you could tell it wasn't all easy for him to oh, hear. Oh, for sure. Right? Um, but he wanted to follow Jesus, 
right? Well, so we're talking and then right before we leave, it's kind of a long walk for a short drink of water, but like right before we leave, he says, oh, by the way, um, I have a nephew who's getting confirmed, right? Um, in a few months. And he asked me to be his sponsor. And as he starts saying this, he starts like tearing up and choking up. And he's like, and I just, can I even do that anymore? They say you have to be a Catholic in good standing. Like they say you have to be a faithful member of the church. And here I'm getting this civil divorce. Like, can I even do that? And he started crying. And I was so blown away and floored because you have to understand from my point of view, like this man was utterly faithful, right? Like, yeah, his marriage was falling apart. His life felt like it was in shambles and he was doing everything he could to follow Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. He had no intention of going out and, and dating again or anything like that, right? He wanted to follow the teachings of the church and he wasn't sure if he was a good example for his nephew, right? A good example in the faith if he could be a confirmation sponsor. Mm -hmm. And I remember just like looking him in the eyes and being like, you are a model member of the church, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that was when I first realized like, holiness is messy. Yeah. <laughs> because we would not like, you know, look at what was happening in that man's life and say, oh, that's totally ideal. Or, you know, um, he's, he's, yeah. Or he's, yeah. he's completely, uh, I'm sure he's totally happy with his situation. And that's what holiness looks like. He has the white picket fence and the halo. And, you know, um, he was going through some really painful things and he was in a broken situation, but was being faithful. Yeah. And that's holiness. Yeah. And I just don't think like I had never thought of it that way. Mm. You know, like I still had these like rose colored glasses on that like saints were just like these Hollywood movie stars with lots of makeup and they, and they just kind of glowed as they walked. Yeah. And, um, and I just, ever since that day, I've run into so many people that I sit there and I go like, man, your life is messy and man, you're a lot holier than I am. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Do you think people are afraid to show their messiness. Do you know what I mean by that? I, I, and, and how do you think that being vulnerable about the messy places in our lives actually opens doors for growth? I know that people, I know that people are afraid to show their messiness cause I am like, I'm afraid to show my own messiness. Amen. Right. Um, and there's, there's two kind of ways I think about this, I suppose, or two things that come to mind, which one is like, I'm afraid to show my messiness to those that I'm closest with, to like friends and family. Why? Um, I think we're all afraid and I'm afraid that, that they'll reject me, yeah. right? Um, or that they won't listen and understand or that they'll immediately jump to judgment. Um, of course, I've, I've been surrounded by like an a group of amazing friends, many of whom are my brother priests, right? And like many of whom I, like, I go to confession with, you know, like. Um, Doesn't get much more messy than that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and even though I, I seem to doubt it all the time, like experience has always shown me that when we like share part of our hearts with somebody, Especially, I mean, not just some random person on the street, but when yes. we share some some deep part of ourselves with somebody close to us, it always draws us closer. Um, I always feel loved and supported. I like almost never feel judged. I feel loved, yeah. right? Yeah. And they might say like, that was a dumb thing you did, right? Yeah. But then they'll also say, and I love you. Kind of give you a, whole, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. a huge kick. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And one time the, Father Joe Vogel kicked me and said, knock it off. And I have never felt more loved in my whole life. <laughs> it's like, that's, yeah, like that's good friendship. That's actually yeah. like good people to surround yourself with are not people that are going to say, oh, that's okay. Don't be so hard on yourself. I actually want people to like give me a good kick in the, you know, yeah. and, and then challenge me, but also that love me enough mm-hmm. to, to say it. Yeah. And most of the time I, I experience that the people like love you and your messiness first and then mm. maybe say like, okay, but also you, and you're like, yeah, I know that was dumb. And then, yeah. you know, um, have you other, ever been rejected? Sorry, wait, go ahead. I don't want to cut, you off, cut, your, well, cut the, your thought off. The other kind of thought that I had, um, is that I think people are, this is, as kind of a priest. Um, I'm not kind of a priest. I am a priest. <laughs> um, but as a priest, I've noticed that I, I even preached about this today, actually that I think a lot of people want to look good for their priest. Mm-hmm. They want to look like, like the good Catholic. And I always say like, your Catholic should be like, your, your priest should be like your doctor, right? Like I show my doctor parts of myself that I don't yeah. show the rest of the world. Like, look at this weird thing growing <laughs> off of my foot. Yeah, right? Right. And I was like, the priest- Not like, that like, I have weird things on my look, feet. I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, but like, look at, you know, you, you want to look good for like the rest of the world, fine. Yeah. But I feel like your priest or, or your spiritual mentor, or your close friends should be the people that know all the junk. Yeah. Right? That know like the, the priest should be the one person that, that you- don't need to look good in front Mm -hmm. of. And yet I feel like, and and I do this in front of other priests, you know, you want to look like the good upstanding Catholic and and like, but I can tell you that people who come to me with their mess, like I feel nothing but an increase of love for them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know you before. And now, now like I love you and I want to help you and and I want to be with you. And, um, and, uh, so, I mean, those are the, the, like, there's, there's that fear just in interpersonal relationships, but I think there's also that fear with like either priests or even God. Mm. right? Like I can't show God my messiness or I can't, I can't show the church my messiness. Um, and in both cases, you know, um, like if I have something weird on my foot, right? Like, mm. the, like, uh, the doctor can only do anything with it if I show it to him. Yeah. Bring it to the light. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's true of God as well. Like if we're not willing to show parts of our heart to him, he's yeah. not going to like, you know, force us to confront something. Yeah. Um, he's waiting for our invitation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I am just thinking we had a friend bring forward something to us recently that was messy. I mean, really messy. And I think there, I could tell that it required a ton of bravery on their part to, to say it out loud, to bring it to the light, if you will. And I think they almost anticipated that I would be, oh, surprised or I can't believe you or not even like super harsh judgmentally. Hopefully they knew me well enough that I wasn't going to respond that way. But I think they almost anticipated that I would be like shocked. And it was such a moment of grace for me in that instance to be like, yeah, okay. Now what? What are you going to do about it? And in fact, throughout the course of the conversation, I was just blown away by this friend of mine. I didn't feel like, oh, they're not nearly as awesome or put together or great as I thought. It actually like increased my um, my appreciation of them because they were willing to bring it to the light. Does that make sense? Yeah, and absolutely. It, and that's like a whole different response. Um as opposed to, and, and this was what I was going to ask you earlier, 
I'll ask you this question first. Do you ever feel like you've been rejected in your vulnerability? I'm having trouble thinking of a time. I'm going to tell you my experience and then I want you to speak into it. Okay. Okay. So uh, a couple years ago, I've shared this on the podcast before. A couple years ago, I brought something forward to a group of girlfriends and one of the ladies in the group responded, wow, Emily, I just, I always, <laughs> it makes me laugh now. I always just thought you were so put together and that you were so holy. And instantly it was like, okay, never bring anything to the light again, right? Because then they're not going to think that I'm good. They're not going to think that I'm worthy. They're not going to think that I'm holy. They're not going to whatever. That's the lie that kind of started to come forward and I had to really actively shut it down. Does that make sense mm -hmm. to say, mm, nope, I'm going to continue to be vulnerable. Maybe I'm going to be a little bit more selective with, with where that vulnerability comes from. But I think that's a common experience for people and why they're fearful to bring forward some of those realities of their lives. What if I get rejected? What if they don't see me as good? So I, I want to know for you, as you've been working with people who who bring a lot of things forward to you, um, you know, what is it that they need to continue being open about their messiness? I mean, uh, I heard, I've heard that story before on here. Uh, I remember you telling it in a different podcast. Avid listener, by the way. Hey, thanks. Um, <laughs> and it just strikes me. So you like her response was, oh, I thought you were so much put together, like more put together. I thought you were holier. And I'm like, well, okay, you were wrong. You're not as put together as she thought. <laughs> yeah. It's actually but true. But she's probably holier than you thought. Mm. Like mm. because she's dealt with more. And brought more things to the Lord than you thought she had mm. and found that joy and that peace that you didn't like you never even realized that there was that mountain to climb yeah. or that obstacle to overcome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and so there's so, actually some truth like, yeah, she is not as put together as he thought. I love that. I love that. And yet this, the people that work through some of these things uh, have a greater like richness often, a depth. Yeah. Uh, he was in much love, loves much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, man, that's so good. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's, it's part of that response is true. Right. Which is, yeah, we don't, when we don't show our lives to somebody, like we are surprised mm -hmm. to see what somebody has been carrying. Mm -hmm. Right. But the other, but the other thing is, I think the part of that that needs to die and go away is like, oh, so therefore they're like not a role model or uh, not holy or like not close to God. Like mm -hmm. I don't buy that for a second. Mm. I've mm -hmm. met too many people who've gone through a lot and are close to God because of it. That's beautiful. I mean, that's that, that we could just sit with that for a long time. That's so true. It's, mm -hmm. and it's actually sometimes amidst the suffering and amidst people's uh, grief or trauma or whatever experiences that they're driven to God and that God suddenly becomes a bit more real. Yeah. Oh man, that's so beautiful. Um, how do you feel like in your experience of people coming forward, bringing things to you, um, all of that, how do you feel like 
you bring people out of it? Because I think one of the the concerns as we approach this topic or one of the cautious red flags kind of as we're approaching this topic is, yeah, holiness is messy. Life is messy. It is what it is, whatever. And I think we're we're kind of straddling that line of that's true, but also we're not made for that. Does that make sense? So can you speak into that? How do you pull people out of that messiness to not allow it to stay there? Um, whether it's sin or or even external circumstances in somebody's life that's just causing, <laughs> I always say like, I'd be a whole lot holier if it weren't for other people, right? Like external experiences in somebody's life. Um, how do you pull people out of it? Uh, I've... I've never in my life been able to pull anybody out of messiness. Like that's not, I'm not capable of that. Um, What I find is that people who are in that messy situation, um, if they're stuck there, part of the reason they're stuck there is because they haven't like stopped and looked around or like they haven't paused for a moment to ask the question, like, in the midst of this mess, like, is God anywhere near me? Mm. Like, is he around? Can I talk to him? (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Um, For the people who have encountered God in that low place, like, they want out. And so I've never had to, like, I've never had to, like, cheer somebody on and be like, but your life doesn't have to stay messy. Like, everybody wants wants to move out of that and they they want want to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, the hardest part is that sometimes they're, they're either not open to that healing. Um, yeah, I, I, well, let me just say that. I I think, and sometimes they're not open to that healing. And and part of that even just begins with what we were talking about with like sharing. And so what I've found is one of the things that I can do and it's small, but one of the things that I can do is just try to, open doors for people to share and try to live and encounter people in such a way that they feel like they can share that messiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I'll, I mean, I'll just give you an example, I suppose. Um, and I don't know, we can, we can talk about this later, I suppose too. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, I'll here, I'll, uh, I'll give you an example though, which is that, um, I had a very dear friend and I suppose he's still a dear friend in some ways Though we've grown apart. Um, as we grew up, uh, we were very good friends throughout high school. And then a couple of years, you know, after graduating, I went off, I did my theater thing. He went off and did his thing. And, um, and, uh, I went off into seminary and it was only a couple of years later that I found out like part of the reason I hadn't heard from him at all was I had joined the seminary and he had bought in wholesale to like, uh, the gay lifestyle and had stopped going to church and had just completely kind of changed as a person. Right. Um, and I think my like first response to hearing that news and I didn't, sadly, I didn't get to hear it like from him. I heard it, you know, secondhand, but I think my first response to that was, um, that I missed him. Mm. That I just like, I, and, and I, and then I, I remember taking that to prayer and like feeling that Jesus probably felt the same way. Um, Not like we always think of like judgment, you know, but like 
I just miss you, you know? And that feeling has stuck with me in a lot of ways. Now, here's, here's my broader point. I have told that story so many times because you would not believe just sharing a story like that, how, how many times a day later or a week later or a month later, you know, somebody says, hey, Father, can we talk, hmm. you know, and shares with me their own struggles with their sexuality and their faith. And, you know, oh, I'd never, I, the other day I heard, I, I had a conversation like this and the, the young man said, you know, I'd never, never heard a priest talk about this like that before, you know, mm-hmm. with like, with like love and like remorse. Like, I miss you. I wish, I wish you would come back, you know? And I guess that's all I mean is that there are ways that we talk about things where we give people permission to share, you know? Um, and one of the things I try to do is like let people know that they have permission to share with me mm-hmm. and that it's not going to go bad or, or be mm-hmm. like an awful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if, if we can cultivate that in our lives, like we'll grow so much closer to the people around us. I should make a t-shirt that says your mess is welcome here. Mm. That's, I, I'm so moved by that because it, it is, it's opening a door for people to show up and reveal them themselves truly as they are without fear or without, maybe there's still some fear even in the process. I think that's probably human, but, um, I think that's so moving and so beautiful. Um, one last thing before a final thing. How about that? Okay. Okay. So I think part of what we're talking about, um, in this is just um, that things can feel out of order in our lives, right? If we're, if we feel like, and this is little things or big things, right? We feel unbalanced or as a parent, we feel like we lost our temper with our toddler. You know, that doesn't happen in my house, but um, (laughs) as an example, or, uh, or bigger things, there's an affair that entered into our marriage or there's, um, whatever, right? All of these things that, that actually like throw us out of order. I mean, order of just our humanity, of our spirituality, of our mental health, of our physical health, all of these things that are meant to be in harmony, it disrupts the order. And knowing your love for art and poetry and leisure and, you know, all of these different things, what role does that have in restoring order to a chaotic heart that desires peace, that desires balance, that desires um, free- freedom, that desires freedom to be who they're created to be? There's, um, there's a crucifix in the cathedral, I think in Ghent. Where is Ghent? I can't remember. <laughs> I feel so bad. Super I should smart, have looked though. it. I should have. I wish I could have like looked this up. But G H E N T. I'll Google it for you while you're talking about um, it. So I believe there's this cru- th- this particular crucifix is in Ghent, um, and it's one of the great masterpieces of Western European art. Hmm. Um, and it's horrific. Oh, 
That's not what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jesus is thin and gaunt and knobby like a tree and his arms are twisted and his fingers are, are, uh, like churned and clawed. Um, this is not sound sounding poetic or artful. <laughs> and he looks, he look. he has this horrible grimace on his face. Um, and it was one of the, I mean, not the first, but one of the first crucifixes to do that. Cause so many crucifixes we can look at and say, oh, that's so beautiful. Right. Um, and they are like many of them. It's, it's an amazing, uh, like magic trick that so many artists found a way to make crucifixion beautiful, but they have, but the crucifix in Ghent is not, beautiful. is not beautiful. And yet if you sit and sit before it or an image of it and just enter in and like take some time and look at it, like really look at it and think about it, it becomes beautiful. And I, I don't know how to, I can't, I can't really describe that. Um, and it's not that it changes. It's, you know, it's not like an optical illusion or anything. But there is like beauty to be found um, in some ugliness. I don't want to say all ugliness, but it's possible to find beauty in the midst of ugliness. Right? Mm. Um, I've ex like I've experienced it looking at this cross, right? And not to get too like theological, but um, the church fathers said that uh, the wet or the cross was the wedding bed of Christ. Because it's where he physically showed his love for the people he loved, right? And so whenever I talk to like married couples, you, you mentioned like what happens when things get so out of whack, you know, and say like, say there's an affair or something. And that's like so messy, right? And that's like way almost beyond messy, right? And like, how can God possibly be part of that? And how can, how can that lead, you know, us into holiness somehow, Right. And the one thing I would just encourage you is like, go look at the crucifix from Ghent um, because God can bring like beauty out of ugliness um, every single time. Um, and there's no, yeah, there's no ugliness that's not redeemable um, by the cross. And, and also the, the other thing, maybe this is too much. I don't know. The, the other thing is like, uh, don't be so shocked. <laughs> like, yeah. like the, uh, if, if, Marriage is supposed to be the cross. Like if the wedding bed is the cross, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Look where that led. Then, well, I was going to say then like marriage is going to be messy. Like nobody should get out of marriage squeaky clean. Like, <laughs> like if, yeah. if, you know what I mean? Like if you yeah. don't enter into a marriage and suffer, um, like where was your cross? Mm. You know, um, I, I don't want to say like you're doing something wrong, but maybe you're but doing, maybe. but maybe you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I actually think that's that's part of every Christian life is like, I mean, Jesus' life got real messy when he was doing the most important thing for us. And um, maybe the most important part of your life is going to be when when things get really, really messy. Um, I think that's where we find hope and reorder. And if you need some beauty to help you do that, go look at a cross. Oh, that's so true. Father, that's so true. You're rocking my world. I hope that this resonates with other people as much as it's resonating with me because, um, yeah, I just, I'm seeing this play out all around me and it's extraordinary. It's extraordinarily beautiful if we allow it to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, final question. Mm -hmm. I ask every guest that comes on Lead Them to Life 
as you know, what's a question that you have been pondering? And this really comes from my desire, which you and I've had this experience countless times of like, you'll ask me a question or I'll ask you a question that stimulates this deeper thought and this deeper pondering within us. And so my desire is to offer our listeners questions to ponder. Um, It can be fun. It can be simple. It can be big, theological, deep, anything you desire. But I want to know what is a question that you, Father Andy Thuringer, have been pondering? So it's related to this. Okay. And it's something I've been thinking about for years. Oh, okay. And I don't have an answer. Um, Okay, so a little back. Graham Greene is my favorite author. Yes. He's a Catholic author. Yes. He wrote some of the most beautiful Catholic uh, fiction ever. Okay. And reading his books has drawn me closer to God. He was a deeply flawed person who did not always live his Catholic faith very well. And um, I pray for him. We'll put it that way. Okay. (laughs) I pray for his soul. He's dead. Okay. Um, My question is, what part does his art play in his redemption? Like, is the fact that his books have drawn me closer to God something that will help him when he, like, stands before God? Or is that is that not enough? Should he have tried to live better? Mm. And I go back and forth all the time. Because making something beautiful, I don't know if that absolves you from living, like, a, a really sinful life in some ways. Like, I'll just give you an example. Graham Greene used to... Um, this is during the Blitz in okay. London. And, uh, but he was Catholic. He was a very committed Catholic. So he used to say the act of contrition while he went into the strip club in what case, a in case, a, in case a bomb fell on them while they were in there. Oh my gosh. Right. So like he had some out of whack priorities, right? right. And he had some, he had some brokenness and, and some yeah. sinfulness. And like, personally, I would like to think that making something beautiful like that kind of counts in his favor, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Thanks for sharing your question with us. Friends, I'm going to put the the link maybe to that image of the crucifix in Ghent in our show notes. And uh, I'll list Graham Greene as an author that you can check out as well. Uh, and you can join in pondering that question along with Father Andy. Father, thanks so much for joining me. Um, this was awesome. It was a grace. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, friends, be sure to share this episode with a friend, especially somebody who you share all of your messiness with. uh, And we hope that it brings you a little closer to heaven. God bless you. See you next time.